you had this thing called technical debt. Although my boss, I was telling this to Justin yesterday too, <laughs> that he keeps calling it technical excellence. He's like, it's only debt if you realize it's bad for you. <laughs> it needs all the things. Give it all the things. Oh, perfect. You nailed it. You can't bend physics. What you can do is write better software. And you're doing MPLS changes or BDP changes. May, may God be with you, right? I, I always feel like I'm just a little fish in a sea of big fish. I've got a nested six-node vSAN. Oh, guys. People you know, quite often think that they don't have anything to bring to the table when they absolutely do. Everybody should. Anybody in IT that skips the phone stuff, it just hasn't earned it. Okay, I, lied. I have one more question. On demand. Correct. Welcome to GigaCast episode 41 for Wednesday, March 31st, 2021, live to tape somewhere in Indiana. I am Britton Johnson. And live from my home office, I'm Tony Reeves. Yay! We, we started made it. 2021. <laughs> uh, we only tried to start to do this like four times, but nobody else needs to know that. Four or five, but who's counting? Yeah, I was, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> I... How are you doing, Tony? It's been a crazy beginning of the year. I'm doing all right. Just hanging in there. Finally starting to get some warm weather up here in Wisconsin. Yeah, it was like 70 degrees in Indiana on Saturday, and then it dropped back down to like 35 on Sunday. Really weird. And then I, I, you know, I, I turned 40 back in December, so I'm officially old. Happy birthday. Thanks. And... And, and, you know, and, and I'm just, you know, everything hurts, of course. <laughs> and now, and now I'm like, both, both my girls are trying to learn how to ride their bikes without training wheels because ironically training wheels don't actually train you how to ride a bike. No, they're a handicap. And so now I've got that like nagging muscle pain in my lower right back from holding them up. <laughs> so I'm like, ow. Yeah. So, because I and I, and I we my, my wife when I started this new series on on, on Disney Plus last night because we're we're just that bad and I finally found the perfect description for 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 how I feel right now. I would not be an acid physically. I have more of a podcast body. <laughs> okay, what's that from? That's from the there's a new like uh, Disney Plus series that's based on the Mighty Ducks. And so it's this 12-year-old kid who has his own podcast, and he's going to join the hockey team. And I'm like, that's how I feel most days. Like, I'm not an, I'm not an asset physically. I'm really more of a podcasting person. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I finally started to get outside and do some biking and try to get back into some sort of an exercise routine again. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and like, I really wanted to start this year doing, like, more and more and more content and, and really up the content game. And that just hasn't happened so far. So it's been it's been the opposite. <laughs> yeah, um, but I did I did publish a new. Uh, I'm I'm starting a new quick, is in like less than ten minutes, um, kind of a solution brief series for the sector that I'm in, healthcare. So I I, I started posting that out. I did we, uh, one with uh, one of my bosses and uh, fellow with VMware Wisconsin, I'm Mike Lonzi, talking about um, Avi Networks and what we do for healthcare. Um, and there's, inter- oh. there's interesting tie-ins for how Avi works with Azure as well. So we can even maybe touch on that a little bit today. Um, so I've got stuff that I'm trying to push out aside from this podcast, the, my, the, which I will refer to as the, the first podcast. And then I'm going to have the, then I have the HCX majors podcast for, for eight, you know, people who want to learn about HCX that's still going and man, it's just, you know, aside from being an SE I'm trying to be full on in content game as much as I can, but you know, it's, it's hard to keep up. Yeah. But that's, that's life. So, but at any rate, so any other news before we jump in with our guests today, Tony? None that I can think of. And people still can't see you when you shake your head. So it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay, so today we are going to talk about the Azure VMware solution, otherwise known as AVS, um, which, you know, thankfully it's it's not branded the same as 15 other things that we deal with all day. And I know Microsoft has this problem too, where they reuse the same name over and over and over again. Um, but so um, 
I, I was looking for somebody to talk to about this. I reached out to um, a few people and they all pointed me to Shannon Keen. So Shannon, thank you for joining the podcast. First of all, thanks for having me. And did I say your name right? You did. I, you did. So I, I, I must've told you how to pronounce it because it's not what it looks like at all whatsoever. <laughs> I did my research and I watched a YouTube video of yours. So. Oh, good, good. <laughs> and then you said, you know, Hey, if you're going to talk to me, you need to bring in this Justin guy. So Justin Jakowski, right? Oh, you nailed it. Yes. I have, I grew up having some Polish friends, so I'm pretty good with the, the, the ski names. Yeah, but, it's the Chicago-Milwaukee uh, yeah. connection. Yeah, there, you, there you go. Yeah. So, uh, is it a bubbler or a water fountain? It's a bubbler. Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Although I think that's maybe more of a, a Minnesota thing. but See, I grew up in Milwaukee, so it was a Milwaukee thing to me. So, ah. it was just, you walk into the Sears and you're just like, where's the bubbler? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for, for both of you entertaining Tony and I and, and doing this and rescheduling several times and working through, you know, the pain that it is to try to be a part-time, you know, f- freelance podcaster while working for a technology company. No problem. No worries. So, first of all, I guess, Shannon, let's start with you. Can you tell me a bit about yourself, who you are, what you do? Um, I see that you're also a DJ on the side. Is that DJ on the side. Yeah, that's actually how I got into technology. So that sounds like uh, I an interesting to, story. Yeah, I went to school for communication studies, didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I often think you shouldn't ask an 18 year old what they want to do for the rest of their life because <laughs> none of us really know. And uh, I started to really fall in love with DJing and had to figure out how to hook my mixer up to a computer, kind of like that. And then I started helping out help desk like type tasks with people I worked with and over the course of time kind of graduated to more technical roles and then really started getting that deeper technical training so um, over the course of my career and I've been doing technology now since 2006 so what is that that's about just about 15 years um, I've become deeper and deeper technically by way of training working with awesome colleagues um, people demystifying technology throughout the entire process and so I've been at Microsoft now a little over three years I started as a cloud solution architect and prior to I was a uh, worked for a Microsoft partner so came over to Microsoft worked with customers directly but I often felt that we didn't have a great way of telling that that enterprise story. And so when I was approached to be a part of the advocacy team and my role as I'm a cloud advocate, and I focus on Azure VMware solution as kind of a way to get these IT pros comfortable with the cloud, I thought this is an awesome opportunity to do that one-to-many conversation piece because I feel like that's the hard part. You know, when you're a cloud solution architect, you solve something for one customer or three customers. Those three customers don't necessarily talk with other customers, right? So you do a lot of solving of complex problems, but it's hard to be that champion and get it out to a broader audience. So that's why I thought it would be kind of a fun reality to get into this role. And I've enjoyed it. I get a chance to do a lot of the one-to-many conversations and really help customers figure out at what point they should position Azure VMware solution in their environment. Wow. That's, <laughs> you, you've done that a few times, I think. A little bit, a little bit. And you know what? It's gotten shorter each time. So the first time I did it, it was really long. And I'm like, I've got to shorten this down. No, it's all good. It's great. And, and, and by the way, you're, you're, whatever you're, with being a DJ, audio sound must be a really good thing for you because... Whatever you've got set up, it sounds great, by the way. It's a, it's a road podcaster. So oh. uh, it's a dynamic road, pos- uh, road podcaster. It sounds like you're on like a radio show yeah. is what everybody's often said to me. Um, I like it because of, I like the crisper sound of the dynamic mic. The mm-hmm. condenser yeah. mic tends to pick up a lot of extra things. And you're yeah. like, I don't yeah. know what it's picking up, but I still have this weird hum. I can't figure it out. Yeah. The dynamic yeah. mic does a little bit better of a job, but you're paying a little bit extra for it. Yeah, I, ha- I have a crappy um $40 Amazon condenser but I've got it run through an analog mixer running through a analog noise gate to cut out all that stuff and that's the only that's the only way that this thing sounds good so but that's you know enough okay enough nerd audio talk Justin, <laughs> Justin who who are you and what do you do oh yeah thanks um so uh I work on a team at Microsoft called the Global Black Belts which is a really, really pretentious name um, <laughs> for a team that really all we do is um, we work with some of the newer products that get released into Azure, um, you know, sort of before they go to our mainstream field. 
Um, we have both technology and sales folks on our teams. And so we spend a lot of time figuring out why these things are important to Microsoft's enterprise customers and then helping them adopt them, you know, and then we take our learnings and uh, we try and teach both our field and our partners and, and, you know, um, folks like Shannon help us, you know, bring the megaphone to really uh, broadcast the message about what we found out about why these things are, are good and important and, uh, and then try and, uh, and really make sure they get adopted well. Cool. And you are an Ironman. I, I am. Yeah. That's uh, I, yeah. um, I'm a glutton for punishment. Yeah. So, so how, how many times just once or how many times? Cause usually everybody I know who's been in the Ironman, they're just like, Oh yeah, I do it like every year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, four times. Yeah. yeah. Four, right. uh, four fulls. I don't even know how many halves and, uh, and other small ones. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's something of an addiction once you, once you start down well, that it's path. A, it's a huge time commitment. And I mean, I mean, this pales in comparison to over my shoulder here, my couple of uh, <laughs> I was just gonna bring that up. MS bike ride things that I did with, you know, Tony and I did that a couple of times in Wisconsin. Um, yeah. And I, I one time did the, the 100 mile route on a Saturday for the MS bike ride. And my left knee has never been the same since. <laughs> <laughs> I got, yeah, it's, I, I got about about maybe seventy miles in, and all of a sudden, you know, like the, it was just I, I couldn't push down the left crank very much anymore, and then and I was stuck. I'm like, I'm committed. I got to finish the last like twenty five miles. <laughs> yeah, and there's uh those they don't uh, they don't find the the nice flat uh, roads in Wisconsin oh, to, for those rides either. No, they don't. No, it's very hilly. Oh. Yeah, I find the hilliest route sometimes. Well, in the Iron, and if you did the Madison Ironman route, I I, I train training road that a couple times with my brother. And yep. it's brutal. Yes, um, it is. And the, there's a couple of hill hills in the hill section out in the back country. I have some friends yep. who, used, who used to live out there on Bar Barlow Road. And yep. I mean, there's another ride that, that typically goes through there called the Horribly Hilly Hundred. Yes, familiar <laughs> with that one as well. <clears throat> I heard about it once, and I'm like, I'm never doing that one. Yeah, Barlow is a famous. Uh, that's a famous climb. Uh, yeah. in the Madison area. Yeah, it's bad. But it was it, the they there's a, a road just behind that a little bit where you can get really going fast and then it ends in like a hard right hand turn. And yeah, it's probably Timber Lane, yeah. yeah. And and I rode that one down and I'm like, I wonder how many guys in the Ironman have biffed on this corner. Yeah, they put hay bales at the end of it during the during the okay. Ironman and yeah, I'm sure, there are yeah. absolutely people that end up uh in the hay bales oh. for sure. That would that would be just a day wrecker. But all right, enough biking talk. <laughs> so we're we're a multi-dimensional podcast. We talk about everything from technology to endurance sports. That's good. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Um, Tony, do you want to start us off with some questions here? Yeah. So uh, just from a Microsoft perspective here is obviously we're talking about this solution and we've Britton and I both have seen a lot of this from the internal VMware training perspective. So obviously we're having you guys on to get the other side of the coin, but kind of the first question where I want to start us out is, you know, how is this actually built? Whose hardware, et cetera? How does this, what does this look like? You want me to start? I mean, so it's, it's bare metal and I okay. believe it's the, their, their Dell servers, but I, I could have that wrong. Um, Cause I, I don't, I think that does, I think it's less and less, of a stressor on what vendor it's more like you have bare metal. So mm -hmm. in my environment that I've deployed, I, they're, they're Dell servers. I don't know if that's holistically what the, the go forward strategy is, but the idea is they're bare metal servers. They are yours. Mm -hmm. They aren't logically separate, like a lot of services in any cloud provider. And then you get an express route circuit that's deployed with the service. That's how you connect into Azure. So that's kind of essentially what it is. You, you get three nodes, plus an express route circuit, you get vSphere, uh, vCenter, NSXT, vSAN, and HCX. So you get all of that, and then the express route. So I, I don't know, Justin, do you want to add any other thoughts in the mix here? Because sometimes Justin gets a little bit more details than I do, because he sometimes will have a lot of deeper conversations with engineering. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think you hit the, the nail on the head. Shannon, at, at the end of the day, um, we're, we're, I guess we're not supposed to care like who the hardware vendor is 
as much as we are at the specs of the servers, um, because mm -hmm. as you said, like it could certainly change at any point. Um, and that doesn't mean you can't just go into vCenter and find out what's deployed. Right. Um, <laughs> but it's not something that we typically talk about with customers because at the end of the day, you know, that's one of the things that we take on as our responsibility is to make sure that we're providing the hardware. And so the important piece is, uh, yes, they're bare metal servers that are deployed inside of Azure data centers that are, that are uh, dedicated to a customer, right? So uh, I, I can't tell you how many times we have the, the conversation, uh, the first conversation with the customer is like, oh, well, this is uh, like, how are you guys doing? Um, how are you guys virtualizing ESXi on Hyper-V? Um, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and, and obviously, We're you know, not. we have to reset expectations right, many, many right. times with the same customers that this is, it is bare metal infrastructure that is dedicated to you. So I think that that's probably the thing that we want to land, you know, with your audience, most importantly, is that there's no turduck in here. This is uh, this is dedicated bare metal hardware, and the vendor may change where the the hardware comes from, but the specs, you know, the specs will be published and will be the same. Now, I, I don't, I don't, I may be wrong with it, Tony. Maybe you know more about this than I do, but I thought, just for contrast, when VMware started the VMware Cloud on AWS, that it was similar idea. It was Dell racked hardware. In, inside of a AWS data center, and then eventually they moved into somebody. Somebody figured out how to run it on Amazon's hardware, and I thought that I had heard something about that. The AVS was kind of going the same road of figuring out how to tune VMware's stack to run natively on what actually is in Azure data centers already, because it's you know I I don't know like it does it I don't know enough about how Azure's constructed to know what the differences are between like a VMC where, you know, VMC, everything hardware wise is custom built by Amazon. Mm -hmm. is, is Microsoft kind of in the same boat where they're custom building a lot of their own hardware for Azure, or is that, you know, more of a partnership between multiple vendors? Yeah, we do have our fleet. What we call fleet hardware is, um, is it's actually on the open compute forum. So if you go to OpenCompute.org, you can actually find the spec that okay. we have for our, for our open compute servers. In terms of what we, you know, what we order from OEMs for um, for those the, those data center um, those data centers, and I guess um, you know, sort of the long term vision is obviously to get to that that point. Um, there's a lot of complexity that goes into making. Um, it's mostly, I think, on the networking side where we have to make NSXT and our underlying SDN platform. Um, speak together. It's not just a, a protocol thing, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Because of the way that we do uh, networking in Azure, um, it's very distributed, right? So we have FPGAs that run in all of the fleet hardware. Um, those FPGAs uh, act as, you know, virtual switches um, on each individual host. And so uh, trying to shoehorn that into a, a typical SDN stack like NSXT is where the, the, the difficulty lies. And so um, I don't know how they do things at, at AWS, honestly, uh, and whether that was an easy thing or a harder thing to, to figure out, but, but we're certainly on that journey still. Um, it, and that's a very long journey. Um, so for the foreseeable future, you know, we're, we're definitely in this, uh, this dedicated hardware, you know, bespoke type of hardware um, realm for sure. And then is this, how is this actually built when you, when a customer requests it, it do you have some backend automation? Is this using some of our reference architecture for BCF like AWS is, how is it actually, uh, when you spin it up for a customer, get it ready to go? Yeah. So it is a, it is a VMware verified solution. So, so we have gone through the process of having VMware sort of certify or verify what we're building here is, uh, best practice, you know, follows all of the engineering um, best practices from VMware's perspective. Um, and we do have automation that builds it. So the process for procuring it, um, you have to go into your Azure subscription. So you log into the portal like you would for, for any other customer. Um, and then there's a request process to actually get the get the, um, the hardware released into your subscription. So we have it behind sort of a, a request gate. Um, so the customers can't go in and sort of deploy this um, on, on, on accident. Um, it is a fairly uh, pricey solution. 
Um, we do have customers that, you know, are spinning things up all day long and turning them off. And, uh, um, and so, you know, a, a $6,000 plus server uh, times three to get the solution stood up. We didn't feel like we wanted customers to kind of be able to just go do that on accident. Um, so they do have to request a quota um, for those first three nodes. And once that quota process has been fulfilled, um, the process to go in and, and light up the solution is very easy. It's, um, I think it's down to six fields that we request now. Um, nice. You know, the region, um, the data center you want to deploy in, um, you know, the, the quantity, uh, the SKU, um, and then we require a slash 22, you know, to build the management network behind the scenes, uh, which is probably the hardest part of, of figuring this out, <clears throat> uh, frankly. Uh, and as soon as that's done, customers hit the go button and uh, a couple hours later, they'll have a fully deployed a software defined data center. Nice. And, and going back to your, your point a little bit ago on price, you know, I'm actually going through some of these exercises right now with customers uh, with some active AVS opportunities. And one of the things that some of the, uh, the Microsoft reps that are in, involved in this have told us is that this can actually be more affordable than Azure Native. And so it can actually save customers money doing this and keep them in their you know, VMware environments that they're familiar with at the same time, which is, I think is kind of cool. Yeah, that's kind of the dirty little secret, right? Um, <sighs> Uh, it, a lot of it comes down to um, a lot of it comes down to how oversubscribed customers are willing to get. Honestly, um, you know, for dev test workloads, if you want to, you know, do you know six to one, seven to one, eight to one on your CPU oversubscription, and you shoehorn a ton of VMs into this environment, um, absolutely, you know, you yeah. can you can be significantly less expensive than well, than IaaS. And that that's that's the general problem of native cloud computing in general is the meters running all the time, and yep. and so you know it's it's this is where where you get dedicated instances. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a lot easier to kind of maximize that. Um, Sh Shannon, I, I read some stuff you know about these um, data centers that Microsoft likes to sink in the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> um, is there is there any AVS presence in there? I'm guessing since it's custom hardware, probably not. No, there is not. No, there the footprint for those are much smaller than a real true data center. They're like the the generation of data centers that that are newer. They're more like a pod versus like a full blown data center that you can walk into, right? So typically, um, the since they are dedicated servers and since they still are kind of like the the pizza boxes of old. Um, we won't see those show up in the ocean. Uh, I, I don't know even if that's a thought at this point, right? So the idea that we have dedicated hardware is still kind of a, an, an interesting proposition for customers in general, and it's still kind of a newer initiative as well. Prior to, we didn't really have a dedicated bare metal team. So that's more of a recent thing. Um, and, and who knows if that will show up in the ocean? It'd be pretty cool, right? Yeah, really, right, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it'd be a fun thing to say, like, my... My AVS instance is in the ocean right now. Like, yeah. that's, that's bragging rights. That's nerd geek rights right, right there. <laughs> I mean, it's, it started out as a really interesting experiment, but I think I read they're actually expanding it and adding more. They are. They are. And then they've been able to figure out the power consumption model and all kinds of stuff. So it's been the first instance was down there. I think it was a full 12 months, and they came back with all this telemetry data that helped them out with ways in which to figure out this carbon neutral initiative, right? And mm -hmm. the idea that push it underneath the uh the ocean the gravitational pull and the fact that it's all kind of condensed it really helped that power consumption model holistically so that's given them a lot of interesting areas to go and, and explore from an r&d perspective well it, it's it, what i find interesting I, i'm just fascinated by data center physical construction in general T tony and i toured um this massive Switch. data center in chicago called 350 cermac once oh yeah yeah and <laughs> I mean, everybody in this region is familiar with that. Yeah, <laughs> and like, been through there as well. Yeah, yeah, and like the yeah, the, that's pretty cool. the funny part, the funnest part of that whole experience was like this guy's walking us through, and he's like, "If you stand right next to that little vent thing right there, and, and if it turns on in an emergency, it was like this emergency vent." He's like, "If you're standing too close to it, it will literally suck the shirt right off of your body." And I'm like, <laughs> "The only way anybody knows that is because it happened." It's <laughs> yeah, frightening. Yeah. So I'm like, like, oh, all right. But like the, the whole, like, 
idea of like like who even thought of sinking a container to the bottom of the ocean and making that you know work i'd I'd heard something about like when microsoft was building office 365 that most of their data centers that they ran office 365 in were actually running at like 90 degrees you know they were hot running because they actually found it was cheaper to just replace components than to pump in air conditioning yeah which is which is crazy because that's the exact opposite of what you're told when you run your own data center. Right, you're right. like, as cool as possible. Yeah. If it's not cold enough, make it colder. And then you're like, wait, what? You're letting these servers just Bake. become very yeah. hot? Like, oh, okay. But I guess another, the whole notion of economies at scale, right? Yep. Yeah, another, speaking of data center design, one of the other cool things that I got to do in addition to that, that CERMAC thing that we did in Chicago was a couple of years ago at uh, VMworld, I got the opportunity to go on a switch data center tour out in, in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting as well with how they have their cold aisle, hot aisle design and the way that they suck it out through the roof. And it, it was pretty, pretty interesting to see that as well. But as long as we're on the topic of data centers, the next question comes up here. Where is it available? Because we know it's not available in all of your, you know, Azure native data centers currently. I think I've got a list. Justin, you want me to rattle it off real quick? Yeah, go for it. So let's see. So West U.S., uh, North Central, East U.S., Canada Central. North Europe, UK South, West Europe, Southeast Asia, Japan East, and Australia East, which is a lot bigger of a footprint than we've ever had for ABS. As I say, even like the a couple months ago, I feel yeah. like there was a lot less than that. Oh, right. And yeah. And, yeah. and South Central is going live this week. So oh, cool. South Central US. Breaking news. So, Breaking news right there. You need like a sound bite with that. Like I know. Those- <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, up, I'm not up on my uh, sound. Johnny on the game. spot. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I think, I, I think so. So that just showcases there's more regional availability. I know there's more that are being discussed. Um, mm-hmm. It's not as close as South Central. So just stay tuned because this space is going to continue to evolve. And the, the thing I like the most about this solution is the fact that Microsoft has always met the developer where the developer is. We haven't always done a great job meeting the sysadmin where the sysadmin is. We finally are, I feel, with ABS. We're kind of saying, look, we know it's going to take a while for you to embrace IaaS out the gate or any of the Azure native services. Here's your, your platform that you know, and you can just place it in Azure, and that helps you with the speed of migration patterns, right? So it's, it's kind of just a cool reality, and the fact that it's going to go to more regions really hits home about the fact that Microsoft's really uh, trying to reach those sysadmins at every part of the world to get them comfortable with what digital transformation looks like for them. Yeah. And, and speaking of data centers, you know, to loop back to that conversation, um, the, the rollout that we're able to achieve here with cloud and the scale at which we're able to, to deploy and the speed at which we're able to get these things in is one of the reasons that I think customers really like this solution. Um, you know, obviously, uh, if you ask a customer to do this in, you know, Switch or 350 CIRMAC, um or any of the data centers, you know, that they're running on their own, um, the process for them to go through procurement, um, you know, get the budget, spec this out, buy it, have it shipped and delivered and, um, you know, re- un- unbox it, rack it, sack right. it, cable it, turn it on, burn it in, like the whole nine yards. It takes... Yep. A long time. Yeah. And rental, and, building rental. Exactly. And and in this case, um, you know, we're we're deploying this hardware everywhere. Um, and as you guys have customers that are that are interested in this, one of the things that you should do is see if you can't sneak into a Microsoft data center tour that we do give tours of um, North Central, which is the data center in Chicago. Um, cool. So uh, I, I used to, to, I've been through probably 50 or 60 data centers in my day. Uh, we used to, in my former role, I used to do a lot of data center uh, tours, both of uh, sites that we, we rented as well as customer sites. And there's nothing that compares to uh, going through one of these cloud data centers. The scale and, and the difference at which things are done will, uh, will flabbergast you. Yeah. And, and AVS as part of that is, uh, frankly, um, a phenomenal way for customers to consume the VMware that they have known and loved for the last 15 years um, in a cloud-like way. It's, yeah. it's, it's the, in, in my opinion, it's the, the best of both worlds, right? It's the marriage of two fantastic solutions. Right. Well, like a, a couple of years ago, before I joined VMware, the last big project I was on 
was building a DR disaster recovery zone for a, cl a client in a kind of a, you know, I'm not going to say the name of the, of the organization, but in a, a bespoke kind of a data center. I, I always kind of refer to it as sort of a artisanal disaster recovery build <laughs> because it really was. And it was just this thing of like, like there were several times I, as part of this, I was the, I was the NSX subject matter expert on this project. And like, there were several times where trying to troubleshoot an issue in the build of this disaster recovery zone that there were like 25 to 30 people on a con troubleshooting conference call all day long. Ooh. And I'm just like, I know how much I'm getting paid to be here. <laughs> and that's probably not as much as a lot of the other people who are getting paid to be here and not actually do anything, but just sit there and be available in case a question comes up in your area. And I'm like, if this is happening everywhere, <laughs> holy expensive project, Batman. Yeah, yeah. And that's where, that's where, that's where like, because my initial thought was when on these types of, you know, kind of automated deployed cloud data centers, when I saw the, the sticker shock of what they initially started to cost for this type of a model, and then I went through that experience and I saw what that looks like, and I'm like, we're not charging enough for these things where we just turn them on and go. We actually need to charge more because it's more reg it's more like instant productivity and less, well, let's just, you know, put this custom thing in and put that custom thing in. It's like customization in data center builds is a bad idea. Yeah. And it's very true. And this is where it's just it, it, it makes a lot more sense. I mean, yeah, there's there's still gonna be little tweaks here and there required, of course, because you know, it's all blame blame the network, it's always the network's fault. But but in general DNS though, let's be honest. Oh right, yeah, DNS. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the She's DNS administrators would always blame the network administrators, right, and right. you'd always be like, "Oh crap, it is yeah. DNS." <laughs> yeah, or it's the load balancer. I went through that for the last month and a half. It's, if it's not, if it's not the network, if it's not DNS, it's the load balancer. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think we've we're seeing a lot of customers that are, you know, they want to get out of the data center business. They don't want to maintain that hardware anymore. They want to free up man hours and FTEs to work on other projects and other priorities. And I think that's a big part of that free up, right? You don't have to maintain that infrastructure anymore. Yeah. Uh, some of these companies can do that for you and take that load off. So I'm going to go off. Oh, go ahead. Also, it's usually that tipping point too. Like, do you want to invest in brand new hardware or do you want to start thinking about an OpEx model? And there's ways in which to make that OpEx model cheaper, as we've discussed. So, you know, it's it's always that like tipping point. Like at what point does it make sense? And each company's different. Cool. So we alluded to this a little bit earlier, but just curious, can you talk a little bit about Server 2008 and the support and how that uh, use case uh, people can benefit moving to the solution and get some additional benefit there? Sure. So yeah, if you've got an older app, whether it be Windows Server 2008, 2008 R2, or living on SQL Server 2008, 2008 R2, you can migrate that into Azure VMware Solution and not pay for the security updates. So nice. uh, that's kind of a compelling story, especially because I always feel like those apps are the ones that were built 10 years ago, uh, mm -hmm. and nobody knows who built them, right? Um, and it's just because of the way that enterprise IT has gone, right? Shadow IT, things like that. Um, so you can still keep that environment. You can migrate it over into Azure and you'll get those security updates at no extra cost. Well, this, this, is, the, this is the problem of virtualization in general because you know, VMs never die. And mm -hmm. like I, in, that, in, in that same instance of the pro project I was working on, that customer still had, I know this was another one, I had a, a customer not that long ago that still had running Windows Server 2000 VMs. Oh. <laughs> and, and and this is like 20, you know, 2014, I think. And I'm like in in production. Yeah, I had I had one of those customers too and I got a ticket when I was working for an MSP and I already peed in but didn't see the splash screen and I'm like trying to run PowerShell and it's thinking it's 2003 <laughs> R2 and I'm like what is going on? What is going on? Then I run Winver and I'm like never mind. That yeah. explains everything. <laughs> yeah, we had what? one of those when I was still on the customer side all the way up to 2019 when I left the company and it was just a situation where the developers kept swearing they needed this one little piece and then Oh, you'll, you can get rid of that at, at this version. You can get rid of this at this time. And then they just, they could never live without it. We were yeah. threatening at one point to just shut it off and see what, what happened. 
Yeah, Shannon and I were actually talking about this uh, this exact thing yesterday. Um, but in terms of, of VMware as well, so we you know we certainly have um, you know our issues with Microsoft and old versions of things that are running. But um, one of the things that we've seen for customers coming to AVS is you know, moving from some legacy versions of VMware that they're running on-prem, you know, like the, the, there's still 5.5 out there running, even older things running, um, and being able to get to a platform where, you know, the vendor, or in this case, Microsoft is responsible for maintaining that environment on their behalf uh, can be huge as well. Now, obviously we know that there's a ton of VMware experience in, in the market. And there's a lot of people out there who know, understand, and really love the technology. Yep. But um, sometimes keeping up with, uh, you know, upgrading and updating those environments is not the is not the the number one task, right? So um, we certainly think that that's a, a big piece too, and um, have had quite a few customers that are that are looking to come over, um, you know, simply to get that uh, to get that movement from, you know, hey, we're on five five and we need to get off, so. Here's an easy way for us to migrate, and all of a sudden we're on 6.7 U3, you know. Um, and obviously we're not at the latest and greatest yet either, but certainly are, are working towards towards getting to seven. Yeah, it's it, it, the the whole legacy stuff is just uh, I don't know. It, it's an interesting conversation to take to dive into. The more the more things grow, the, the more things get virtualized. It seems like the more technology changes, the more it doesn't change. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and then you have this, you have this thing called technical debt. Although my boss, I was telling this to Justin yesterday too, <laughs> that he keeps calling it technical excellence. He's like, it's only debt if you realize it's bad for you. <laughs> I basically told him, I'm like, oh, that's so that's so true to form, and that needs to be like on a day calendar as well. So then I told him, oh, we we just got to come up with like 364 more sayings, and we'll have a day calendar of you know working with customers. But I mean, it's it's true to form, right? Um, you never really know what you're doing is bad for you until you bring consultants in or you bring a project in and you have to have version requirements be met and compatibility because you're going to run into that when you migrate things or you think about upgrading. And it's just, it's not easy, especially if you're running IT a little bit more leaner. I feel like that's where it, it gets a little tricky. And that's why these these companies have struggled over time. Yeah. Yeah, and then like so, I'm I'm internally part of this VMware team called the HCX Majors, and we focus heavily on HCX and the capabilities that it does. And um, you know, we 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 try to kind of talk through the ideas of yeah, getting customers off of legacy VMware into other things, other things, and how HCX you know kind of abstracts away the data center view. I did a whole VMworld 2020 talk about it. Um, and it's 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 interesting to me how you know every single one of these AVS customer conversations I get on like the first thing is yeah how do we get on board of this thing how do we get get connected to it and I mean the the general response is well you could use HCX but aside from that are there other means that customers are using to onboard their stuff into uh, AVS or is HCX paired over an express route or something is that sort of the default go-to for getting in in the door yeah that's the default go-to i think there are other things you could think about doing but i feel like you know vmotion technology in and of itself over using hcx i think that's the way most customers would would prefer to do it because they're familiar with it whereas if you were to you know mdk file to a vh you know in shoving it in or or uploading it or however you wanted to think about it um there's a number of different ways you could think about it right you could take your your vm as is you could upload it to a blob storage account but i mean that's just that's time spent trying to wait for things to go from one area to well and and and, you know vmotion in general has always kind of you know freaked people out and it makes them feel kind of like this oh my god that is amazing yeah you know yeah that sounds like me when I first realized what it did. I was like, wait a minute, this server yeah. didn't go down. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it just really just like, you know, if, if, if vMotion in general, and then HCX vMotion just puts that on steroids. So, but it's, yeah, it's- I would say, um, I would say most of our customers who are looking at a, at a migration scenario are very interested in HCX um, as a migration path. And I would say, um, you know, the customers that I've worked with, you know, 
in excess of 90% um, are using HCX as the, the tool of choice to do migration. So certainly it is the, the method that most customers are looking at. Um, we do have a couple of partners that have, you know, like migration tooling that, that can be used as well. And that tends to be the second choice, um, like maybe like a Veeam backup and restore, you know, if they don't have, you know, um, huge downtime requirements or something like that would be the option. Yeah. And, and then probably the final thing that I, that we see, I think from a patterns perspective would be, um, customers who are not looking at migration as their scenario or just using, um, they're just building new, right? So they're using this as an expansion zone or, um, you know, something like that. And they would, they're just deploying from whatever um, automation tooling they built to build VMs. They're just attaching it in, in AVS, whether that's Vernie or, you know, ServiceNow or some other other third-party tool um, to go ahead and get those deployments done. Um, but I would say that that's probably the, the smaller bit. Most of our customers are looking at data center exits or, or migrations at this point. Okay. And those are the folks that tend to come to my talks too. They'll ask a bunch of questions. Like I'm at that point where I don't want to pay for another contract with my colo provider. And then I have all these interesting questions of vacating what they've got. So in terms of Microsoft delivering this thing and in partnership with VMware, um, it, you know, Microsoft, this is a Microsoft owned and delivered solution. So, you know, you, since it's in an Azure data center, like if a host dies, you know, is, is that transparent to the, to the customer or like, how does the, the kind of maintenance of the environment happen? That's a good question. I actually don't know. Justin, do you, since yeah. you dealt more with customers who've probably seen this? Yeah. So the, if there's a hardware failure, um, it's absolutely Microsoft's responsibility. We're responsible for the, I, I tell customers we're responsible for the plus one and the N plus one, you know, so if they, if, if you deploy a, a three node cluster, you can essentially assume that you have a, um, a host on, on standby. Yeah. yeah. So we're maintaining enough, enough, um, uh, spare hardware in all of our locations to make sure that we have, you know, the ability to swap out nodes if customers need it. Um, so if there's a NIC that dies or um, a, a disk failure or a host that just goes offline for whatever reason, um, it's Microsoft's responsibility to insert a new host into that cluster and then make sure that it gets fully um, fully integrated into the, into the solution. Um, we actually use that same methodology for patching as well. Um, as an example, you know, if we're, if we're moving uh, or updating a cluster, uh, we do insert a fully patched node uh, into a, like a three node cluster. So you go up to four and we'll rebalance across and then, you know, put one of the other hosts in maintenance mode and take it out. And so we'll maintain the CPU and memory that the customer has across that solution for the entire, the entire upgrade process. Uh, so trying to make that transparent as well. Cool. And I think one of the other things that I heard with that too is you guys do have scheduled maintenance windows, but you can accommodate specific customer requests and defer to different times if it's you know not a good time, critical for the customer, et cetera. You can accommodate some of those things. Yeah, in in Azure, there's the we have a service uh, <laughs> a service called Service Health, a feature called Service Health, um, and in a customer Service Health dashboard, there's a maintenance uh, section where um, we will publish the fact that we are planning to do an upgrade um, or do maintenance on the cluster. And then the customer can choose to defer that um, or they can choose, you know, we may offer a couple of times where we're going to do the, the maintenance and they can choose the one that, that best fits them. Um, as with, with most things, like we have to stay um, in, in support with, uh, with VMware as well. Right. So um, there will be a time at which they're not able to defer anymore and they'll have, they'll be forced to take that upgrade. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, we absolutely have that same, um, that offering as well. Cool. So what are the general you know, upper limits of a AVS deployment? I mean, how, how big can this thing get before it becomes, you need a separate instance of an AVS deployment? Um, yeah, so this is a very uh, timely question as we just, we just upped our limits on Monday. So 
Um, the it's total like number, knew. what's that? It's like he knew. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't actually. Uh, we probably should have prepped you for that one beforehand. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we just upped our, so we were at 64 hosts in a private cloud and um, four clusters. We just upped our limits to 96 hosts in a private cloud and wow. you can spread that across 12 clusters. So, um, you know, the, the math there is a little bit different. It used to be um, a total of 16 hosts per cluster. We're still at that limit, but you can do that across 12 different clusters now. Um, the 16 host limit is a vSAN thing. Uh, we're trying to really maintain that for now, but uh, we have had a lot of requests from customers to do small, more smaller clusters for things like, uh, you know, we want to put, um, you know, dev test on one cluster and prod on one cluster, or we want to have a cluster for Oracle or SQL server or something like that, you know, a dedicated cluster. And so the ability to go from four to 12 total clusters in a private cloud is, is a, a great, a great feature that we've added as well as the ability to go up to 96 total nodes within that private cloud. Um, so we're really excited about that. Um, and then, you know, the, the next step above that is, is private clouds. And you can have, um, there's no limit on the number of, of private clouds that you can have within a subscription. So, you know, theoretically speaking, you could have an infinite number of three node private clouds in a subscription. Um, you know, practically speaking, that doesn't really work, but um, you know, we, um, there, there's no limit at that level. So, um, so that's where we're at from a limits perspective. That's, 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 that's large. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, well, one other question I had was um, lead times for scaling, obviously you told us this, the scaling limits, but what are the lead times for scaling? So if a customer, let's see, they're a retailer and they're entering the holiday season and man, we're, we're going to see huge demand. We really need to process more workloads and transactions, et cetera. What's the lead time for spinning up additional hosts and getting more uh, compute and storage? Yeah, it takes about 15 minutes to add a host to a cluster. So <laughs> nice. Um, That's pretty quick. Like, yeah. Like I said, we have the, the hard, since the hardware is all there, yeah. um, you know, it's all wired up and ready to go. So it's just a process of going into the portal, uh, choosing the cluster that you want to expand and by how many nodes and then hitting submit. And, and those jobs take, you know, on average about 15 minutes um, to complete. So you can spin up pretty quick. And then the spin down does take a little bit longer. So if you wanted to reduce that, um, those jobs take about 30 minutes to actually, you know, vacate a host and then remove it from the cluster. But, um, you know, uh, 15 minutes is well within the, the hourly billing period. So um, it, it still fits pretty well within our, our hourly billing model. So I mean, for those. I'll say, and, and if you're pretty savvy with automation too, you could think about automating that, right? You could think about triggering something to add that additional host in without having to go into the portal, right? So there's, there's interesting things that I've seen customers talk about, or at least try to wrap their heads around. So um, there's a lot of flexibility there. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we haven't built an auto scale feature yet. Uh, it's definitely something that, I've, that the product group is discussing, but there are um, patterns already for using some of the metrics that we pump into Azure Monitor, uh, CPU, memory, and disk space being the three key ones for the hosts, along with Azure Automation, because um, all of the, the tooling is there from an Azure command line perspective to be able to add and remove nodes from clusters. So, um, it's certainly possible to, to, to sort of build your own auto scale um, right now, uh, without a doubt. We definitely have customers that are looking at that pattern for sure. So are those all, I assume, hot nodes, if they can be spun up that quickly? You guys must yeah, have a lot all... of spare hardware sitting around. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's uh, welcome to the cloud, right? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the bet that we're making, right? Is that customers are going to come in and consume. So we do have, um, you know, all these data centers have, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of nodes that are running and waiting for customers to come consume them. And um, uh, we have, uh, I don't know how many people that are sitting around doing math and trying to figure out when to, uh, you know, drop more, um, hardware in these data centers to, for capacity planning. It's, you know, certainly something that's a dark art that, um, 
Mm -hmm. I don't want to be part of, but uh, <laughs> right, that'd be, that'd be difficult. <laughs> well, like, it's, uh, at some point, these there's got to be like teams of people running around like a NASCAR pit crew just deploying hardware. Yeah, that's got that, well, that's what that's what it feels like. So, North Central is something I would recommend coming and touring if you can, because the newer data centers they don't even let you off the bus. They just basically say this is you know West US two. You can't get off the bus because you're a security liability because there are pods sitting outside. So North Central is still one of the data centers you can go into. And it's it's if you've got a customer that is in the process of trying to figure out if this is a viable solution for them, work with Microsoft and there's a way to get you, you know, to at least tour it because it's super interesting. Yeah, that would be um, yeah, that's good. The operations teams there. And if you go, uh, you can actually drive past the data center. I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast, but it's if you drive down to 94. <laughs> yeah. If you drive down 294 in Chicago, you'll drive past our data center and uh, um, they've to expand it. They've actually started it. There's no room to expand it, Where it um, is. Uh, sideways because it's it's hemmed in by uh, the airport, um, some stuff to the left and the right and then the highway on one side. So they're going up. Um, they've actually built scaffolding on top of the data center and you can see that they've they're stacking containers of compute on top of the oh, data center. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. All right. So here's one of the practical things that like Tony and I deal with a lot is P POCs. So I am, and I'm, I have a customer who's doing an AVS POC right now. Um, and I kind of came in the middle of that. So if somebody is, is interested in working on AVS and wants to do a POC, you know, how do, do they have to engage Microsoft for that or do they engage VMware or both? First, first of all. Yeah. So, so that's, so that's a great question. Um, so POCs are kind of where my team uh, lives and breathes. We, um, this is something we've been doing with customers is walking them through how to consume this technology and, and onboard it for the last, um, you know, probably two years. Uh, and there is a brand new team at VMware that's dedicated to AVS. Uh, they are also able to do POCs with customers. So we've worked with that team um, to sort of have the same methodologies in terms of how we how we work through these these proof of concepts with customers. Uh, because they do, we do have the ability to do like a a thirty day trial of the service. Uh, it's one per Microsoft customer, so we don't want them to like spin it up and then go on vacation, um, right, you know, right. for a couple of weeks and then come back and like have two days to like spin up a VM. And then all of a sudden they've wasted their 30 day trial. So um, we try and treat it like a mini project and the team at VMware is on board with that as well. Uh, we work very closely with customers to make sure that we can deploy it really quickly for them so we can maximize that 30 days. We take time to try and map out um, all of their use cases and their success criteria ahead of time so we can, you know, make sure we're, we're knocking out milestones for them during the process. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, you know, making sure that, that uh, after the fact that they can actually take that POC, there's nothing that has to change from a Microsoft perspective. Um, the only thing that changes is on day 31, we switch to a billing skew um, on the portal side. So they can take everything that they've built from um, the POC perspective and roll that directly into production. Um, and that's really the goal is to really, uh, we, we call them production pilots in, in essence. Um, you know, spending that 30 days, that free 30 days, proving out that the technology is going to work. And then taking that and moving it right into a production scenario so they don't have to redo any of the things that we um, that we worked on during the pilot. Uh, and there's a whole team of dedicated folks at VMware. In fact, there's more there's more VMware people dedicated to AVS now than there are Microsoft people, which is <laughs> awesome, by the way. Uh, we're super stoked about, about that um, and, and love working with that team. And we can all take you guys, uh, take customers through those pilots. Okay. What, so what, just, the, what, sorry, what, what do they get in the POC? Is it three hosts, that's it? or Yep, okay. three nodes, 30 days, yep. Okay. And all I was going to ask was, how much pre-planning do you factor in? Because you want to make, make sure all the pre-planning is done before the POC, right, Justin? Yeah, I mean, we usually, so, um, so our process ahead of time is typically, um, you know, our sales specialists will identify the opportunity and then they'll go talk to the customer and usually give them our, what we call our level 100 pitch deck, just to make sure that we're, we're level setting with the customer on what the solution is and what, what they get. Uh, then we come in um, and do a deep dive level 200 overview of the technology, which usually takes about an hour. Um, 
the next step after that, if, they, if we haven't run into any blockers at that point, is to do what we call an Azure design session. An Azure design session is usually a half day. And uh, we used to do these in person with customers. Um, obviously, we're not doing that What's anymore. That? But um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like we, we would pull them into a, like a half day meeting and we ask that, you know, they bring their VMware team, they bring their security team, they bring their networking team, bring your storage team, bring your identity team um, and your security folks. And let's all get into a room. We're going to whiteboard what this looks like. Uh, we're going to walk through all the things that we need to get started um, in that design session and make sure that everyone has all their questions answered. And we, we walk out of there with a, a reference, you know, for what we're going to, what we're going to build for production. Um, sometimes it's, it's, you know, very formal because they have to go through, uh, an architecture review board or something like that. Sometimes it's super informal. We just do it on the whiteboard or whatever. Um, but walking out of that meeting with, with that, and then, um, and then some, some sort of documented success criteria and stuff is really key. And so that, that process usually takes about a week to get through. Um, and then we'll, we'll start the actual deployment after that. Cool. So I, I think we're done with our main questions, but we're getting ready to wrap this up. But I had a complete tangent thing, and I know you guys are not the right team. But as a geek, <laughs> as, a, as a geek, as talking to people that work with Azure, I have to bring up, I'm a huge flight simulator geek. And um, I know that the flight simulator 2020 uh, mapping runs Bing Maps for satellite imagery, and it runs off of Azure data centers. So do you guys have any feelers into that at all? As I know it's a huge company. It's probably not your space, but have you heard anything uh, along those lines at all on expansion and how that's working? I have not. I know that um, advocates are tracking it, but I don't okay. know the latest. Yeah, no, I didn't even know that that was a thing. Oh, surprise. Uh, yeah, yeah like that, was, that was, that was kind of like the whole thing last year. It was like, you can't travel, but you could do this flight simulator thing that Microsoft built. Yeah. And so a bunch of people flocked towards it because it was super cool. Um, and it didn't require ridiculous hardware to run. Like you could run it probably on a laptop if you really wanted to. You probably didn't really want to run it there, but you, you, you could have. No. <laughs> something else to run it off of. It would have totally just chewed through everything that, on that laptop. But, but yeah, so a lot of people were, were interested in that last year. And I know that there were a handful of advocates that were, were tracking it at one point, but I don't know the latest. Okay. Yeah, I, I had an RTX 2070 GPU that could barely handle it. I was trying to run it on Ultra to get the most out of the satellite imagery and the graphics. And I was fortunate enough, the ridiculous worldwide shortage of computer components, I was able to get an RTX 3080 and I can pretty much run it on Ultra settings now. And wow. the, the satellite imagery in some of the, uh, what they call photogrammetry cities is unreal. Like if you didn't know that it was a game, you wouldn't know that it's a game. Wow it's it's pretty incredible what they've been able to do. I mean, there's still some auto-generated scenery in there in some of the rural areas, but for the most part, it's it's pretty crazy. I guess my only flight simulator tie-in there is that I watched that uh, the fire documentary on Netflix the other day, and uh, there was the, the pilot that was flying these guys down to the islands. Apparently didn't have a pilot's license, but learned to fly on Microsoft Flight Simulator. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only, the only thing that came to mind when you yeah. guys said that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds just a little illegal. Yeah, yeah. that's a little yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things in, during Anybody that. Uh, landed, right? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of weird things uh, that happened during that, that time, apparently. But uh, Anybody, Any idiot can fly a plane, right? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I've logged uh, 40 hours on Flight Simulator. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. <laughs> All right. Well, cool, guys. This was really good. Yeah, this, this is a lot of fun. Very informative. Very, very informative. I, I'm, I'm super excited that this is our first episode of the year. Um, so, Shannon, Justin, thank, thanks for joining us and, ah. and running through all this stuff. Um, it's really, really helpful. And I think, you know, like in my own territory, for whatever reason, in healthcare, the, the healthcare customers I work with, they're all interested in AVS. They're not interested in really any other cloud scalar solution except for AVS. I don't know why that is. It just Same. is. Um, but I'm good with it, and and I think it's I think it's going to be a good thing going forward for for both Microsoft and VMware. Um, so and you know, yeah, we, we this is why we do the Tony and I do this show independent of VMware, so we can talk to people outside of our own organization and try to learn more about what's happening out in the broader world of things. So so thank you for the time. Yeah, 
thanks for having us happy to be here all right and then is there like be like do you guys do blogs or twitter or is there anything you need to plug uh, you can find me my my twitter handle is s-h-a-n-k-u-e-h-n so shan keen uh you can find me on twitter you can also find me on linkedin just by searching for shannon keen i tend to post a lot of interesting stuff there my blog is more so hobbyist stuff that i found out and things that i want to showcase um it's not really my day-to-day job. My day-to-day job, you'll find more info surrounding what I do on Twitter and LinkedIn. But like, I do have a blog and it's shankeen.io. Okay. And I'm, um, I'm at Jakowski, um, J-A-K-O-W-S-K-I on Twitter. Um, also post quite a bit to LinkedIn. We have a, an AVS blog um, as well that, that our team hosts. It's uh I can't remember. I think it's abs.ms. Yep, abs.ms. That's the right one. Cool. Thank you, Shannon. Well, (laughs) the only reason I remember that is because I had to pass it to somebody recently. I said, this is another spot to go because the GBBs that handle advanced migration, they're posting all kinds of interesting things there surrounding like integration points with ABS and Azure and ways in which to think about using AVS and Azure. So it's 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 also been another, another one that uh, I'll pass along, but I literally just rattled it off yesterday. That's the only reason, it's just top of mind, right? <laughs> it's, in, it's in my cached memory. <laughs> Perfect. And, and I know, I, I, don't, I can't remember if there is a hands-on labs from the VMware site for AVS. I think there is one. Is, there yeah. is, um, yep. So, so that's a good entry point too for people to click around and do some stuff. Um, and then I'm sure as we get, closer to VMworld, there'll be even more content and things coming from the marketing side of things as they build more things for AVS um, from both organizations. Um, but but yeah. yeah. There's also a Learn module. So I've been working with a Learn team at Microsoft. So if you're familiar with Microsoft Learn, it's the fast-paced way of getting a handle on how technology works. Um, the deployment module is live. We're working on an intro module and a migration module as well. So those will handle the, the kind of the core tenants of how you de- deploy and maintain and migrate ABS. And then we'll be building off of that uh, into the future. But that, that process is a little bit slower than some of the hands-on labs just because of the way in which... Um, that that team kind of operates so hopefully we'll have some interesting stuff to share on that front soon but one bonus question i just thought of um would it be helpful for somebody to take a like an azure native education course like an intro to azure to learn how to do stuff just in native azure for this or is that not really a requirement I don't think it would hurt. I think if you are interested, the Azure Fundamentals Learn Path is pretty awesome. So the certification path is AZ900, or you could go on to Microsoft Learn and search for Azure Fundamentals. And then you'll, you'll get a handle on how we do what we do related to economies at scale, how we do distributed computing. I mean, it won't they won't tell you the 100% how-to, but it'll give you that broad understanding of what we're doing and why we're doing it okay. so that you don't have to take it on uh, in your own data center, right? I think that's the biggest appeal with cloud vendors is I don't want to get the 2 a.m. text messages when my power supply fails. I'd rather have Microsoft get that, right? And that Microsoft's a globally distributed company in ourselves, so 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 why not? So I think that would prep somebody for all of the vernacular that they would have to be using when they go into Azure mm-hmm. because it's a little bit different. Um, and then, you know, Microsoft has uh, acronyms upon acronyms and some of the acronyms have kind of weirdly blended together. So that <laughs> may not be a bad thing to go through that. <laughs> Yeah, that that's just the plight of being in technology. Right. Yeah, we have so our own letters in the alphabet. Yeah. yeah, plenty of our own. All right. Yeah, I think um, I think the the biggest thing around um, like l- the learning Azure would be for AVS is the networking space. Um, that's probably where you'd need you know a little bit of deeper Azure knowledge. Um, once the solution has been has been stood up. A VMware admin is going to be super comfortable yeah. in, you know, vCenter, NSX team manager, um, HCX, you know, they're going to feel perfectly at home uh, and can do really everything that they need, um, you know, from those, uh, those very familiar uh, uh, management consoles. So, yeah. you know, that's probably the biggest space where they would need. And we've come full circle a, blaming the network people again. So exactly. Yeah. Right. Way to bring right. us home, Justin. Good job. Anytime. All right. That's what I'm here for. Let me uh, <laughs> let me play us out and we'll 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 say goodbye to you guys offline. Hang on one second.
Thanks for listening to GigaCast episode 41. Thanks to Shannon and Justin for joining us today. If you like the show, please rate us on your podcast app of choice and please share it so others can find us. Thanks for listening. We will come at you again with more episodes soon. Have a great week, everybody.